Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Good morning, George. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. We're about to start episode 17. Well, you know, I think I've got an interesting thing we might talk about. Why do you think it is that we have just one Bible and over 40,000 different denominations just here in the United States, and some of them so angry with one another that they, they condemn each other and they think there's not even a place for them in heaven? I think that comes from good intentions. They want to follow closely God's Word, so they study it and they do their best to follow it. And if they're doing their best to follow it, and you don't believe like them, you must not be doing your best to follow it. So you're a heretic because you don't think like they do. I think the best thing we can do is, just like you said, follow it the best way we know how, and don't worry about condemning anybody else. It's almost like for some people, if I can find where I'm better than somebody else, I must be closer to God. But I believe that if we're looking for a way to find that we're better than somebody else, I think we're getting away from God rather than closer to God. I had a Muslim neighbor once, one of the nicest people I've ever met. We were talking about religion one time and the difference between Christianity and Islam. And he said, you know, the whole thing is loving your neighbor as yourself. He didn't know it, but he was quoting Galatians 5.14. And that says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He had it. He had it down, even though he believes radically different than me. Well, you know, Jesus says, and it's the same thing, I think, for all religions. Jesus says there's only two things that matter, love God and love one another. And I used to think those were two different verses, but a friend of mine told me that's actually one concept. The way you love God is by loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, there's a verse in Second John, in the letter of Second John, that says, if you say you love God and you do not love your neighbor, you're a liar. Okay, so what are we going to be talking about today? We can talk about why do we have all of these different different denominations, and one of them is because how are we supposed to read the Bible? If we have one Bible, and we have over 40,000 different denominations, it's not the Bible's fault. It's how do we read the Bible? And that's why I think one of the reasons, or the main reason, that George and I are on this podcast to help people find a different possible way to read the Bible where you don't have to worry about whether you're better than anybody else or not. In what way is that? Well, first, I think we could go back and can look at how we got the Bible in the first place. I believe, to begin with, there was no Bible. It was just uh, people sitting around a campfire, and they would talk about, where do we come from? I wonder what what God would do if, if he got really mad at us. And each one would have a different little short story, short story of the flood or whatever, But they would ask these questions, and then they would look for answers. And I think for us, what what we can do today is, if we want to go back to the beginning, we go back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis means the beginning. And if we go back and look at it, we can find very quickly in chapter 1, we find something that's going to be different than in chapter 2. And scholars usually refer to this chapter 1 as a priestly writing. And a priestly writing has certain characteristics. The person that's writing is distant. He's just sitting back and he's telling what should be going on. Like the first day he says this and it happens. Second day he says this and it happens. But he's not close to the people. 
Another one is God is everything in the priestly. There's no second thoughts. There's no, can I get a second opinion? He says it's this and it's this. When he says the first day we do this, the second day this, the third day this, and it's all a facts. It's just a list of what God can do. The priestly writer is going to be either telling what he does and it happens, or he tells you what to do and then it's going to happen. Just like in the chapter 6 of Genesis, it's another story about the priestly writer. And he's saying, here's how you make the ark. You make it 100 cubits long. You make it 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. You put the window here, the door here, put pitch in the floor so it won't leak. He's telling everybody what to do. And nobody says, well, that might not be the way to do it. It's not anything up to anybody else. It's just God talking. It is the last word in everything. As I was reading this, I thought to myself, why in the world do we stop with six days in the first chapter? Why don't we have the seventh day there? But it's not. The seventh day goes to the second chapter. Father Fred, one thing to keep in mind is that when the Bible was originally written, there were no chapters or verses. It was just one big, long, continuous text with no punctuation. That's right. A later redactor divides it up into chapters and verses. Before, it was just written all in one long string, and it was written from to be read from the right to the left, not like we have ours. If I recall correctly, it was a Catholic priest in Canterbury that divided the Bible into chapters and verses. George, you're looking for something there. Yeah, it says the division of the Bible chapters is generally attributed to Stephen Langton, an archbishop of Canterbury in the early 13th century. Langston's division of the Bible into chapters occurred around the year 1227 A.D. This chapter division was primarily intended to facilitate easier reference and navigation of the text. It is important to note, though, that the chapter divisions we use today are not the same as those originally created by Langton. The current verse division within each chapter were introduced in the 16th century by the French printer Robert Estienne. Let's look for just a moment at chapter 2. On the seventh day... On the seventh day, why is it not back there in chapter one with the first six days? Well, I think it helps us to have a little bridge between this priestly writer that wants everything, just one fact right after the other. And there is no story at all. It's just here it is. He does this on the first day, this the second day. And then when he finishes that, he's done. There is no story left. Then we come to chapter two and we look at the seventh day. And on the seventh day... It's not a God telling everybody what to do. He's worked hard, and now he's tired and has to rest. Now, that's a complete different God that we had in chapter 1. This God is starting to have human qualities. And that's, I believe, the reason that it's in chapter 2 is because in chapter 2, we have a God that has qualities that are just like you and I. We want to make our God more like us. In this chapter 2, he was tired and he had to rest. In chapter 1, 27, we read that God made man and woman at the same time. That's it. Doesn't talk to them. Doesn't give them a name. Nothing. But in chapter 2, we've already got God now that is tired. And now we find a God that is close to people, that is like you and like me. This writer is making God very much like us. Then we have, starting with chapter 2, with the story, we can't use chapter 1 because it's done. All it did was just tell us what God said that he could do. Starting with chapter 2 and going through chapter 4, it's all about Noah. It's all about Adam. 
his sons. That's a story that's continuous from one through four. Then we look at chapter six and we got a new story coming on. The new story is going to be Noah. The editor or the redactor did not want to just list a bunch of of individual short stories. So he decides a way to, to connect them together. He takes Adam's son, Seth, and finds 10 different generations on down to where we come to finally find Noah. Now we've got Noah starting in chapter 6 and goes on to chapter 10. Pretty soon then we're going to jump from chapter 10 over to Abraham. But to get to Abraham, we have to go through chapter 11. And chapter 11, just like the others, we've got a list of a genealogy. It's there just to connect the two stories. It flowed because the editor was able to take these two stories and figure out a way to put them together. So what are we going to be talking about today? Today, it's chapter 23. If you have your Bible, open your Bible to chapter 23, and let's look at verse 1. We've come from Adam. We've come through Noah. We've come now to Abraham, and we're going to be going a little bit farther because now Abraham's wife, Sarah, is going to pass away. And here in chapter 23, this is going to be a story from the priestly writer because there's no story to it. It's just certain facts. The span of Sarah's life was 127 years. There's no story there. It's just a fact that it happened. We're getting ready in this to pass the baton from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac. It's going to happen pretty soon in the next chapter or two. This one is chapter 23, and Sarah is the first one that passes away. It says she died in Koriath Arba, and now that's known as Hebron, and Hebron we know is in the south, and it's also mentions in the land of Canaan, which is in the south, and Abraham proceeded to mourn and weep for her. Now this next one is interesting. Then he left the side of his deceased wife, and address the Hittites. Now, the Hittites is a group that he's going to go and try to buy some land from. But my question wonder is this. Wonder where he left Sarah. Wonder what Sarah died of. There's none of, no, none of these things about the stories about as she thought this or thought that. It just says she died. Now, he's left her somewhere. We don't know where. And that's not the important thing. The important thing here is just to get the story to carry on. Then he left the side of his deceased wife, and address the Hittites. He's just a visitor in this country. He cannot buy land for himself. It's against the law. He left his wife and addressed the Hittites, and he tells them, Although I am a resident alien among you, sell me from your findings a burial place that I may bury my deceased wife. Now, she's laying somewhere out there. We don't know where. He's trying to buy some land, and he knows that he can't because he cannot own property. And the Hittites answered him, Please, sir, listen to us. You are a mighty leader among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial sites. None of us would deny you his burial ground for the burial of your dead. Now, scholars say these people are not really trying to give him this land. They're really just working at him to see what they can get out of it for themselves. First of all, they can't sell it. They can't give it away. It doesn't belong to them. Abraham, however proceeded to bow low before the people of the land, the Hittites, and said to them, If you'll allow me room for burial for my dead, listen to me. Intercede for me with Ephron and Sohar. Now they are two of the elders. Tell them this so that he will sell me the cave 
Machpelah, let him sell it to me in your presence at its full price for burial place. He's not going to haggle. He's going to give any amount that he can give because he's not supposed to have had the land. This is verse 10. Now Ephron was sitting with the Hittites, and he's a Hittite himself. So Ephron the Hittite replied to Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites. And their hearing means he wants them all to know. All who entered the gate of the city, he wants everybody that comes in to know what it is that he's going to be saying. Please, sir, listen to me. I give you both the land and the cave in it. Now, he hadn't mentioned the cave yet. I give you the land and the cave in it in the presence of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Now, he knows that if he gives it to him, he can come and take it anytime he wants it because Abraham cannot own this property. But Abraham, after bowing low before the people of the lands, addressed Ephraim in the hearing of these men. And he says, if only you would please listen to me. Listen to me. I know I've got to pay for this or I won't get to keep it. You can come and take it anytime you want it. Please listen to me. I will pay you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron replied to Abraham, and he's still going with the same, sto- same story. Sir, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels. Now, there's the first time we hear this price come in. He wants to really stick it to Abraham and overcharge him. Sir, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Now, he knows Abraham's going to pay him, so he's offering him an exorbitant price. Abraham accepted his price. Verse 16 says, Abraham accepted Ephraim's terms. He weighed out for him the silver that Ephraim had stipulated in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver at the current market price. Thus, Ephron's field in Machpelah, facing Mamre, together with its cave, and all the trees, now trees are important, remember that, of all the trees anywhere within its limits, was conveyed to Abraham by the purchase. Now, you'd expect if you buy the land, you're going to get the trees. That's not something that... But trees are mentioned here specifically to know that it's something that's valuable to Abraham. And Abraham purchased in the presence of the Hittites, pays it for all who entered the gates of Ephron's city to hear. He wants everybody to know about it so that they can't go back on him. After this, Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, Now it's in the cave. That's why the cave was mentioned before. After this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave of the field of Machpelah facing Mamre, which is now called Hebron, and it's in the land of the Canaans. He's buying this, but pretty soon he's going to take all of the whole land and not pay anything. And the very last verse is this. Thus the field with its cave was transferred from the Hittites to Abraham, as a burial place. So now he's got his two promises. His progeny, his son, is going to be there, and he's got the land now that he's going to have. Now, this story is not a lengthy story. That's what P is like. In this next story, it's too long to be a priestly story. It's going to be a Yahwist story. Well, that's going to be an interesting podcast next week. One of the things you mentioned made me think about something. So you mentioned that Sarah was buried in a cave. My understanding is when we think of desert, we think of sand and heat, but the desert in the south here in the Negev Desert is rocky. It's hard rock. It's difficult to till. It's difficult to dig. So it's not something where you would want to dig a a hole. 
So you're looking for a cave where it's so it's easy to, to bury somebody. And in the New Testament, we have a translation that says Jesus was a carpenter. That was a, actually a, a mistranslation because there weren't a whole lot of trees back in Israel in the time. So it's really that Jesus was a stonecutter or a stonemason. And because the people translating the Bible didn't know what the region was like, they just said, well, he was a carpenter, which means he worked with wood. That is interesting and, and very possible. And another thing that I've read is that the first people to be raised from the dead, according to the Jewish belief, are going to be in Jerusalem. And that's why being buried in Jerusalem is a very big deal to Jews. So what we'll be studying next time, Father Fred? Well, next time we're going to be passing the torch. Sarah's gone. It won't be long till Abraham's gone. And so the next step, we've got to find a wife for his son, Isaac. I think I recall some of that story. It's interesting how they found his wife. Yeah, she's going to be a good looker. God bless.